Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. Uh, we like to have fun in this place, and I hope you've all had a wonderful, wonderful start uh, to your new year. And uh, today, what I want to talk about is dreaming. When I was a uh, young child, uh, I would wake up each morning and I would dream that I was a superhero. This superhero, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches fleas, wait, thieves, just like flies. Watch out, here comes uh, what? Spider-Man, right? And I would be Spidey. And then when the afternoon would come, I would start playing basketball, Nerf basketball, up and down our hallway, and I would imagine I was this guy, Dr. J, Julia Serving, dunking from, you know, the actual free throw line. And then by the time the evening would come, I would look out my window, and I would look up into the sky, and I would see the moon, and I would imagine, and I would start dreaming of being an astronaut, that I was going to orbit the entire moon. And I just had this sense of wanting to dream. Then, uh, when I became an adolescent, I would dream of actually, you know, being a part of a sports team. Or I would dream of getting good grades. That dream didn't always come true. But I dreamt it anyways. And then I would dream of going to college, and I dreamed of getting married, and I dreamed of being a teacher. And even when the dream of being a teacher was kind of shot down, and I became a pastor, I dreamed of being the best pastor I could be, and how there would be many people that would be accepting Christ, and people would be baptized, and For several years, when we first moved here to the jar, I started dreaming about starting a church. And throughout the first 15 years of the jar, there was this dream after dream after dream after dream. And what I desired more than anything else was to live God's dream in my life. And then the pandemic of 2020 hit. And then all of a sudden, to be quite honest, folks, it became very difficult to dream. And I started noticing that I wasn't dreaming. I was more about how can we change this or how can we pivot this or how can we survive this weekend? And then I would start feeling fear and anxiety and a real sense of, are we going to be able to make it through this? And everything in the world changed and To be quite honest, what I started noticing this summer is that I just had stopped dreaming as much. I stopped dreaming about bigger things, things that only God could do. Have you felt that way, or is it just me over the past couple of years? Has it been difficult for you to dream? Sometimes I wonder to myself, why don't I dream as much as I used to? Sometimes I wonder, why don't I have a gigantic dream that God would give to me? Have you ever noticed that sometimes you don't dream as much when you get older as you did when you were a kid? Maybe for some of you, there was a a time in your life where you dreamed about your marriage and you dreamed about great things and now you just kind of go through the status quo. 
Maybe you had a, a dream for your job and now you find yourself just clocking in and clocking out and just kind of doing the bare minimum. Maybe you used to dream about the future and what God would do and what God would do in your life and now you just kind of live day to day. Or maybe you have a dream that you want God to use you in some great way, but recently you've noticed in your prayer life that you've kind of stopped asking God to move within that. Well, the good news, if you're like me, if you've had a little difficulty in dreaming, um, it's not the end. Because you can dream, and you can dream again. In fact, the reality is the God of the Bible is a big dreamer. He constantly goes through things of people's lives and he wants them to dream more and to dream in bigger ways because he's full of dreams. And the people that are a part of his story in the Bible were dreamers. One of the greatest dreamers maybe that uh, the New Testament has is a guy by the name of Paul. Paul wrote close to half of the New Testament, considered one of Jesus's closest uh, followers. And Paul had this dream that he would start these churches outside of Israel, outside where Jesus started with his first disciples, and that they would dream of starting new churches. And so for three years, he, he kind of locked himself down in this place called Ephesus, which is in present-day Greece. And he dreamed about how the kingdom of God would work in that area in great ways. And Paul was a huge dreamer. And there's a dreaming verse that may be the the biggest verse in that letter, but it might be the biggest verse in the entire New Testament about dreaming in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And this morning, I'm not just going to read it, but we're going to read it together. And it'll come up on the side screens, and all of you on the stream, if you can join us as well to dream this uh, together, or, or to read this dream together, let's read this uh, out loud. So all in one voice, let's read. God, by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Here, what Paul is saying is that I wish, I wish you would realize how big God is. That God is this miracle-working God. That you would be convinced of God's miracle-working power. You see, what had happened is that Paul started noticing that some of the believers in Ephesus had realized that some of their prayers hadn't been answered. And for some of these Ephesian believers, some of them started to believe that there were some things in life that were just impossible. They were impossible to be answered. Have you ever experienced that before? Where you're praying about something, you're asking about something, and you finally get to the point where maybe this prayer is just impossible to be answered. I have a feeling that there are many people in this auditorium, in the balcony, down here at the main level, some of you on the stream, that maybe you've stopped praying big prayers. Maybe you've stopped dreaming as much as you did at one time. 
Maybe there was a point in your life that you had a person that you thought in your family, if they could come to Christ, their life would be totally changed. And so you prayed for your brother, you prayed for your sister, and you prayed and prayed, but nothing happened. And then all of a sudden you kind of put that in the impossible category. Maybe there was a gigantic need for for someone in your life or maybe in your own life. You had a need that you wanted something to be taken care of and you prayed about it and you prayed about it and it just didn't pan out and all of a sudden you put it in the impossible category. You know, as Christians, if we're not careful, what will happen is sometimes we will kind of give up and put things in the impossible category And that impossible category will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what God wants to do, that category in your life actually begins to shrink. So here, what Paul is saying is, hey folks, God is not just the God of the Bible from a long time ago. He wants to do something right now in the life of the Ephesians, and in each of your lives. He wants to do supernatural stuff because he's a supernatural God. He is able to do far more. And if you're looking at that verse, you might want to circle that because you need those words sometimes, those two words, far more, far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. That's what God is capable of. And this morning, I want to stretch you so that some of you who may have stopped dreaming, you might dream again. Because either we dream, folks, and we dream big, or we might as well not dream at all. William Carey might be a name that some of you know, some of you might not know, but uh, he was just an ordinary guy. He was a shoe cobbler in the 18th century. And one day he had this dream that he thought he could leave from England and go to this island called Burma, which is now Miramar in all of Southeast Asia, and he could share the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. Don't you love that picture of him there, you know? And uh, he thought, I can do this, and, and lives could be changed. And people looked at him and said, you're crazy, you're nuts, that would never work. And he's like, well, no, I really think it wouldn't, and would you give some money for this? And people would say, well, if the people in Burma need money, go get the money there, don't ask us. And what Carrie did was he just kept praying and praying and praying and believing that God would do something great. And he eventually moved there and his family moved there and they went through all kinds of stuff. But he was the first present day missionary of how we do missions today. And now there are hundreds of thousands of missionaries that have gone throughout the word. And the message of Christ has been spread everywhere because of his one great dream. And our big idea that I want to give you this morning is from William Carey himself. And this is what he said. He said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. 
In fact, let's kind of repeat that all together because this is kind of a dream. This is the thought that you and I should have, each one of you on the stream, to join us as well as we say this big idea out loud together. Let's say it together. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Folks, everybody needs a dream. It is a psychological kind of necessity that we have. Because if we're not dreaming, if we don't have a goal, if we don't have a vision for our life, then we actually might be dying. Anyone here ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Anybody want to raise a hand? Sure, sure. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Timothy Robbins and uh, uh, Morgan Freeman play two guys that are in a prison. And Timothy Robbins' character has been falsely accused, but he has a life sentence. And while he's there, one day they're in the yard, and it's one of my favorite lines of all times uh, when it comes to this whole idea of whether we're uh, going to do something in life, because everything in life is a choice. And that's what Timothy Robbins' character says. He says, life is a choice. Either get busy living or get busy dying. And what I want to say to you today is that wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever the circumstances are that might be difficult, you can either stay where you're at or you can choose to dream. Either get busy dreaming or get busy dying. So why don't we dream like we once did when we were kids? Why don't all of us have great big dreams? Well, I think part of it is because each one of us fall into a different category when it comes to our personality. And I want to share with you today kind of five types of people when it comes to dreams. Here's the first one. It's your next fill-in. And that is, there are some people with no dream. There are some people, folks, who simply have no dream. For many people in life, their only dream is to get through the day. Hey, what's your dream? Just to get home tonight. That's my dream. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, the chancellor of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, was once asked by a, a, a person, would you encourage some of the students and ask them where they are headed? And so he goes up to a student one day and he says, hey, where are you headed? And this is what the student said, to lunch. To lunch. Folks, For a lot of people, that's their goal in life. Their goal in life is just to get to lunch. One time, Jesus saw a man who was on the side of the road, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Think about that. That's one of the most profound questions that any person could be asked. And Jesus asked this. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Have you asked that of yourself? Have you asked God, God, what do you want to do for me? God, what do you want to do in my life? God, where is it that you want me to move my life in what direction? Now, some of you might be asking, why should I do that bunch? Why should you do that? Why should you ask the question, God, what could you do for me? The reason is because this is what the scripture says. God is able to do far more than you could ever ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers 
our desires, our thoughts, our hopes. There's some people, maybe you're there today, where you just don't have a dream. Life's been hard. It's been a difficult season. No dream. Here's the second type of people, and that is people who have a low dream. People who have a low dream. Now, this is a little bit better than not having any dream at all. But some people, when they have their low dream, this is what people dream of most of all, especially in the United States. I want to make a lot of money, and then I want to retire. Woo! Yippity skippity. That's what your dream in life is? Make a lot of money and then just retire. That's it. That's your dream? Folks, it's not bad to want to make money. It's not bad to want to retire at some point. But if that's your biggest dream in your life, that is a low dream. A low dream. Why is it then that many times you and I have a tendency to set low dreams? Well, first of all, we do it because dreams hold us accountable. Dreams hold us accountable. As soon as you share your dream with someone else, the pressure is on. You know, for the first 18 months when I was thinking about uh, starting a church, I didn't really tell anybody. I just was by myself. But once I made that statement that, hey, I think I want to start a church or I'm going to do this, all of a sudden the pressure was on. Another reason we set our dreams too low is because we have a fear of failure. I mean, what if I don't achieve my goal? Um, I'll get embarrassed. Um, I'll kind of blow off my self-image that people have lifted me up to. Folks, I'm telling you, nothing kills a dream more than fear. And you know why I know this? Because I've experienced it myself. I've given into fear many times in my life. And then finally, it's a fear of criticism. What if people laugh at me? What if people put me down? What if people say some things that are not very encouraging of me? Right before I started the jar, one of the things that I heard from a person one time, I said, hey, I'm starting a new church, and this is what they said to me. They said, oh, you have such a big ego that all these other churches aren't good enough, so you have to go do your own. It's like, no, that's not it at all. I just wanted to to start something that would break the mold, that would be a little different, that would accept people in a different way. That's why I did that. Folks, I want you to know this, that if you start a dream, that people are going to question your motives. They will question your motives. So the issue is this. Never be afraid of attempting something great if ultimately it's for the glory of God. And if you can do that, even if you don't make it, you can't be called a failure because anything you do for God is a success. The third type is people who have the wrong dream. People who have the wrong dream. I would say that before you invest in the attainment of a certain dream, that what you need to determine is, is this thing worthwhile? Because there's many people that I know who have climbed a ladder of success and they become extremely successful, so much so that they're over the clouds and then one day they look and they see the ladder is against the wrong wall. It's not on the wall that they thought was going to be 
steady and strengthening. I think one of the tragedies that I see most of all as a pastor over the 25 years that I pastored is I see people in the church many times who have tremendous talent, who have tremendous ability, who can do so much, who have exceptional skills, and yet they're giving their first-class allegiance to a second-class cause. And folks, the one thing I've discovered that is not worth investing in is trying to impress people. So many of us spend so much of our time trying to please and impress other people, putting all of our energy and effort in doing that. And I'm telling you, it's just not worth it. So don't have the wrong dream. And then the fourth thing that you can write down is people who have a vague dream. There are some people that just have a vague dream. Some people have a great idea and they're like, oh, this is amazing. This is what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden they never execute it because it's vague. There's no specifics to it. Some of you might be sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I want to use my one and only life for serving God. I want to give my life to God. I want my life to count. I want it to have purpose. I want it to have meaning. But you're very vague on the specifics. Many times, folks, you never accomplish anything until you put pen to paper or you type it on the computer or you put it on your phone. It's when you put it down and you start putting specifics that your dream is not vague anymore. It becomes something more than that. You know, folks, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, what you'll find is a person who had a goal-directed life. At the age of 12, he is at a temple, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And someone comes up to him and says, what are you doing here? And he says, I must be about my father's business. Now, at the age of 12, for me, folks, that was not my priority. When I was at the age of 12, I was sucking my thumb and picking my nose, you know? Like, like that was the thing at age 12. And some of you are like, you were 12 and doing that? Some of you are 42, 52, and whatever. You still pick your nose. We know you do. And that is not the goal. And so Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And from 12 until his death at 33, he was about his father's business doing everything. Loving, caring, giving, healing people, doing whatever. And when he came to the end of his life, these were the last words he said. He says, it is finished. I mean, I can't think of a more successful person ever in the history of the world than Jesus who said, I must be about my father's business. And he came to the end of his life and he said, it is finished. In fact, in uh, John chapter 17, Jesus said this. He said, I came and I've accomplished all you've told me to do. Think about your life right now. Think about when you get to the end of your life. Could you be the person who says everything that I've done that you've asked me to do, God, is is accomplished. Folks, that's strong because Jesus was so very clear on where he was going and what he was doing. Last thing, people who have God's dream. People who have God's dream. Folks, the reality is this is where all of us should be and this is where we should want to be. These type of people are the type of people who know exactly where they're headed because they've gotten a dream from God and they've chosen that they're going to go after it. Now, in 1998, I went through all five of these steps over a few-year period of time. 
In 98, I was pastoring two small churches, and God was moving in a great way, and the churches had doubled in size, and then all of a sudden we felt called to leave from there and come to Muncie so Jen could start her medical school. And when I got here, I had no dream. I didn't have any thought whatsoever. And finally, some people said, well, maybe you should go to seminary. And so I went to seminary, but it was more like a cemetery, not a seminary. There was death all around. People were not very excited about anything with God. And I felt very overwhelmed and inadequate in multiple different ways. And I'll tell you, the the highlight of my day that first semester was we would go to this place called the Commons, and I would have a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. That was the highlight of my day. If you were to ask me at that time in my life, where are you headed, what I would say is Pizza Hut. That was it. In 1999, then, I moved from a no dream to kind of like a low dream, a low dream. I thought to myself, well, you know what I can do? I can work at this whole thing, and I could graduate from seminary. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I could have that dream, and I could graduate, and that could be it. And then I'd have a master's degree, and then my wife Jennifer would actually have to call me master. (laughs) By the way, that never happened, okay? That has never, ever happened. You see, folks, getting a degree is good. It's not a bad thing. Getting a certification in what area of line that you work in is great. Those things are wonderful. Degrees are great. But if it's just about the degree and it's not about impacting the lives of other people, at the end of the day, folks, it's just a low dream. And then in 2000, I kind of went from a a low dream to a wrong dream. Uh, they took us in seminary to the largest church uh, in the United States at that time in Chicago. And I went there and there was this mega church, thousands and thousands of people. And I walked in there and I said, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a mega church pastor. There are going to be thousands of people that come and that's my dream. And I remember even praying to God, God, this is what I want. I want this. I want this. I want this. And I didn't hear it audibly, but just in my spirit, uh, not so much bunch, the wrong dream. It's a wrong dream. And I'm telling you, I've come to peace with it. I'm not a mega church pastor, but I am the pastor of the jar And I am the one who's been given a dream to do what God's called me to do. And we're going to do it. And we're going to dream in greater ways than what we've been doing. And then finally, I kind of went from this wrong dream to a beg dream. I spent... 18 months praying because I was so fearful of starting anything. I had 120 people that were praying for me, and I had no clue whatsoever where this church was going to be or what it was going to look like. And I'll never forget the date, August 16th, 2002. I was praying, and all of a sudden, my beg dream went to a God dream. And while I was praying, it's the only time in my life I've ever audibly heard God's voice. The only time was when I was praying, I was asking God, where do you want to start this church? God, just tell me wherever you tell me. I will go. I'll do it. Let me know. And then this is the words that I got. I want you to start the church in Muncie, and I never want you to ask me again. And all of a sudden, I got God's dream, and it was revealed to me. And then shortly after that, the name of the church came to me, the jar. One day I was reading in the Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, and this is where we got the name. 
And it says this, remember our message is not about ourselves, we're proclaiming Jesus Christ the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives were filled up with so much light that as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful, but we are treasures in what? What's it say? What's the next three words? Jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And around that same time, what was happening in our community, which I really didn't even have an understanding, was the ball jar company had started moving everything out into Colorado. And there were other jar companies that were leaving. And then shortly after that, there were automotive companies that were leaving. And all of a sudden, I said, we're going to call it the jar. Because even when other things that build jars, produce jars, and they're gone, the jar community church will be here and will be present. And God needs the jar to be a place. And we're going to be a place that would stay no matter what and would share the message of Jesus Christ to other people who are experiencing darkness in their life and we will provide light. You see, folks, all of us are just ordinary jars. But the collection of the church is what the jar becomes. And the truth is, is that some of you are marble jars, some of you are clay jars, some of you are glass jars, some of you are big jars, little jars, tall jars, small jars. Whatever kind of jar you are, this is the truth that we all have in common, and it's this, we're all broken jars. Every single one of us is a broken jar. And you are called, and I am called, to take whatever brokenness we have and to share the love of God, that priceless treasure that's inside us, to share light to people who are experiencing darkness and to show love. And what is that dream that God has for your life that he wants you to express it and to share it and to give it away? Folks, the reality is every single one of us have flubbed up, messed up, screwed up in this life. But God accepts us as is. And there is a world out there that is longing to hear that message that you're loved as well. So that we can fulfill the vision that God has given us to love our community into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So with a name and a vision, we kind of coined an acrostic. And for some of you who are new or you're just checking out, you're like, what's my church about? This is what it's still about, folks. And it's this. The J stands for Jesus-centered. We want every single person to know that this place is about Jesus. It is not Chris-centered. It's not personality-centered. It is not, you know, music-centered. It's not economically-centered. It is Jesus-centered. We are all about Jesus. The A is accepting community. We desire to accept everyone no matter who they are, what they're going through, that we will accept them. Why? Because Christ accepted us and we must accept others because Jesus, that's how he lived his life. He accepted 
the people around him. And finally, relationship-driven. We want to be driven by relationships. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus taught was about relationships and getting people together to share that type of love within community. That's why you should be in a small group, because when you're in a small group, you get healthier. You're able to love more. You're able to have a God-centered group of people that will help you with the dream that he's given to you. And so, folks, I'm just saying that it's time for us to dream again and to dream bigger and to see what God's going to do. And some of you individually, you need to take these things and think about what is the dream of my life? What is God asking me to do? And you put it in part of the jar and we see what God's going to do in an amazing way over this next season that we're going to be a part of. And next week, I'm going to share one piece of what I think God wants to do in this next season, and you'll want to be a part of this. And how do I know God's going to bless us? How do I know God's going to bless us in this next season? Because Scripture says this again, God, by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. And so this week, in fact, I'd encourage you to do it today. Take those five people and be honest with yourself. Which one of those am I, if I were honest? No dream, low dream, wrong dream, vague dream, or God's dream. It doesn't matter where you're at. Just be honest and say, God, this is where I'm at, but I want to be moving to a God-sized dream. Would you do that for me? And then I want to challenge you to do something this week. Some of you won't take it. Some of you will be like, ah, but some of you I know will. Some of you on the stream right now, you're going to want to do this. That just five minutes each day that you would ask yourself this question. God, what dream do you have for my life? What is it that you've equipped me for? What are you asking me to do? And then just for five minutes to wait, to pause, to listen, to ask God to speak into your life. You might receive a lot. You might receive very little. But whatever it is, write it down. And then talk to someone. Talk to me. Talk to someone who's in the faith that you can connect with. Because I strongly believe this, that God wants to do something bigger in your life in this next season of 2023. He wants to do something that is more than you could ever dare to ask for or to dream of. Because Fear is not your future. And your past is not your future. But God has a new dream. He has a new hope. He has a new strength. He has a new horizon. And I want us to sing about that now as we go through this week to dream once again and to dream big. So if you would, please stand and uh, we will be singing together this dream.
turn it in your favor Watching work is for your good He's not done with what he started He's not done until it's good Hello peace, hello joy, hello love Hello strength, hello hope, it's a new horizon Hello peace, hello joy, hello Hello, strength. Hello, it's a new horizon. 